Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Your life as it has been is over. make things anymore. It's all happening. Immediately terminate. 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 Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Middle Chamber. It is I, once again, your hyperdimensional host, your existential reporter, Freighter X, back in black, as always. <laughs> yes, it's good to be back. You know, I've, I've, this is the third show since my extended hiatus, and I've really gotten a lot of response from you, all you out there listening, and the numbers are growing each week. And last week's show was just off the charts, out of the park. We had the legendary Jordan Maxwell last week come on and we just uh, really just started scratching the surface on some of the most amazing topics. And luckily he's going to come back on second hour and join us once more, pick up where we left off and, and keep unpacking this material dealing with, uh, well, pretty dark stuff. But at the same time, we're, you know, there's no fear of doom here at American Freedom Radio. We've already established that fact. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's good to be back. And I just want to invite everyone out there who likes the show and likes what I have to say each week to to make contact with me at el- elsewhere online. You can go over to my blog, which is freighterx.blogspot.com, freighterx.blogspot.com, as well as the show site, which is middle chamber, the letters fx.wordpress.com. And on this site, middlechamberfx.wordpress.com, you will find the button to purchase The Secret War Inside Freemasonry, which is the book I just published last year, which is going strong. And tonight we're going to launch a new feature in the Middle Chamber, Readings from the Secret War, because I recently had a little exchange with another 
blogger slash podcaster out there who will remain unnamed that, uh, you know, just, uh, I don't know, threw out a few caveats and accused me of having an agenda with regards to the secret war. And, and frankly, I do have an agenda. The agenda I have was to right some wrongs, to tell some truths, to bring voice to a giant silent majority within the lodge systems that I felt was being unjustly deprived of a proper education within the Masonic system. I tried to foment revolution from within, uh, but as I uh, thoroughly explain and expound upon within the book, The Secret War Inside Freemasonry, it's almost near impossible to, in fact, fight a revolution alone. And that's something we're going to focus on in tonight's first hour, and maybe it will spill over in the second hour with our good friend Jordan Maxwell, and that is the idea of the outsider, the intellectual or idealistic outsider in our postmodern American society. But, uh, okay, so the book, The Secret War Inside Freemasonry, you can purchase it there at middlechamberfx.wordpress.com, but also over at Amazon if you want to purchase it through them. But, of course, for the full effect, for the maximum support to the Middle Chamber Media Project, I would suggest going to that middlechamberfx.wordpress.com. And then you'll have the physical copy of the book in reference as the weeks and months go by and we pick times intermittently to continue with the select readings from the secret war, a new feature of the middle chamber. <laughs> so let's just move forward from there. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, Facebook. You can find me on Facebook freighter X. Now it's not freighter. The letter X as it should be freighter X as in citizen X or Mr. X or generation X. No, it's freighter E X because of Facebook's silly rules and regulations and little hoops that they have. And, uh, so anyways, uh, Freighter EX, you'll find me on Facebook, friend me, uh, and everywhere you go. Also, Stitcher and Talk Shoe Networks both have my media as well. If you go these places and check out the media, please rate the media. Review and rate the media. The more we review and re- rate things, that means on Amazon.com and at Stitcher and at Talk Shoe, it gives us more access to more audiences. They have algorithms set up to expose you to more and more people if you are, in fact, Paid attention. It's like a, you know, it's a catch-22 vicious cycle, kind of. You know, the more people that pay attention to you, the more they let pay attention to you. <laughs> so I guess that's how it works. And, uh, yeah. So moving forward. Yeah, like I said, big response to the comeback. Last week's show uh, on that one, on just one of those servers, I had almost 300 downloads between last week and today, which is about triple what I have been seeing because of the long extended hiatus that I've taken. People kind of, Slacked off on listening because I wasn't putting out any new media. Understandably, of course. And, you know, the reason why I took such a long extended hiatus was after the process of the, the, the great intellectual distillation process that's required to write a book, to amass all of your notes and your references, and especially the subject matter that I undertook here, The Secret War Inside Freemasonry, which is a micro-historical lecture on the the founding and the development of Freemasonry in America from the very beginnings of the revolution forward to my personal postmodern experiences in the lodge for seven years working in the, in the quarries, as they say. And, uh, you know, just my experience, strength and hope coming through that. So yeah, somebody accused me of having an agenda on Facebook and, and it sort of perturbed me because this is somebody who I sent a copy of the book to, and I, I assume they had read it, but they never really responded to me. And if they're going to, you know, this is about the only negative re- review, or the only negative critique I've gotten yet out of the near, well, I guess at this point I'm nearing 400 copies of the book worldwide sold, and then 
many, many more. Well, not many, many more, but many others given away. But, uh, yeah, so I want to kind of start that ball rolling with uh, giving you the unique opportunity to hear me read the book at various times. We'll be expounding and giving little side commentaries, too. So that's a unique opportunity that you don't get from just reading the book, per se. But as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to talk a little bit about The Outsider. You know, I've, I've been reading Colin Wilson's book, The Outsider, which, again, I highly recommend this book. It's, uh, it's really just uh, great stuff, a uh, study of Western literature and Western thought and uh, the Western discursive condition, <laughs> as, as it were. Discursive uh, it means uh, discourse, you know, the idea of the revelation of knowledge through discourse. That's, that's the Western way, it seems. And uh, so, anyways... I've been an outsider myself my entire life. I'm from, from childhood, uh, my, my schooling ordeals, as I call them, all the way to young adulthood, and then right down to today. You know, the, the fundamental attitude of the outsider has always been a part of my psyche. And, and, and when I say the schooling ordeals, I've, I've talked about it a lot in the past, uh, just how the process of, of what going through school and it being really just an elaborate obedience training system and I somehow being aware of that at a very young age I'm not quite sure why I was awakened to this I mean I felt a lot like the little kid in the emperor wears no clothes a lot in my life and then later on I felt a lot like that character Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye not because my parents were necessarily wealthy they they weren't wealthy people but we lived in an area that was in a close proximity to wealth and it sort of trickled down, you know. So in many ways, uh, I was, you know, I too was at war with the society of my parents and all the schools, public and private, that I was either expelled from or asked not to return to. That happened quite often in my upbringing. And it was mostly because I, I questioned the authority in the room and I questioned the curriculum. I, I contradicted the teachers. I realized right away that they were, everyone was, it's this elaborate fraud going on. That's why the emperor wears no clothes is such a great analogy. Because if you remember in that story, I think it was Hans Christian Andersen that wrote it first, if I'm not mistaken, maybe. Uh, same with Pied uh, Piper, I believe. But anyways, in that story, uh, the, the characters are all kind of caught up in this thing. They're going along with it. They're going through the motions. But the boy, he sees right through it. You know, he sees the stark truth staring everyone in the face. But everyone's too afraid to acknowledge the truth. Uh, it's staring them all right in the face to the point where the emperor is marching down the main street completely stark naked. No one's willing to acknowledge the fact that he's been had by a con man who sold him supposedly the most fabulous invisible uh, material and threads, you know, and there's, there's, all, there's much more to the story than this, but I just wanted to point out the idea that this is a great analogy because that's how I felt growing up was like the kid that, that could see clearly. And yet, uh, you know, no one else was either privy to it or they were ignoring it. They were just going along with it. And my peers, I suffered great, greatly suffered greatly psychically and socially 
because not only was I ostracized by my peers, but the teachers, because they felt threatened by me challenging the curriculum and, and that the fraud, remember that fraud mentality I was talking about. I found the same thing within the lodge system in many ways that people were just going through the motions and following the lesson plan or the teacher's manual without truly knowing the knowledge and wisdom they were speaking of. They had not taken this stuff on board, but they were speaking with the authority of the textbook, the authority of the system behind them. And that was fraudulent to me. I could not accept this because I, I think that that wasn't true knowledge. And I, I didn't know then what I learned later that, you know, real knowledge. <clears throat> well, let's not just say let's not say real knowledge. But let's just say that education or learning before compulsion schooling happened in America was based more on literature. It was literature fueled and literature focused knowledge. And uh, uh, it's, it's more... Uh, you know, it, it, so instead of being uh, based on the authority of the teacher's manual and abridged, simplified, probably slanted curriculum, you'd have the individual review the works and then gain insight on their own, uh, formulate their own independent thinking after being trained in the, the skills of, you know, like we've heard before, uh, the trivium or, or logic, reasoning, uh, rhetoric, grammar, these things that are, are necessary to, to process the great works of literature, for example, or philosophical material or scientific material, and then, you know, formulate your own opinions. But I think what we find in public schooling today and mainstream public schooling especially, and even in private schooling, if it's, you know, because there's charter schools and other private schools that are following the same lesson plans and the same basic playbook, which is to not produce critical thinkers in our culture, in our society, but to produce, in fact, obedient workers, you know, drones, uh, industrial workers, soldiers. So for me, it's, uh, it's always been clear, even before I understood how, the hows and whys of it, it's always been clear that there was a, a, a fundamental non-acceptance within me of life. And not life in the sense of, you know, the fundamental non-acceptance of life as in, I hate life. No, that's not what we're speaking of here. What we're speaking of is the fundamental non-acceptance of human life lived by humans in human societies, right? Such a life is not real. For the intellectual outsider, the effects of living as an outsider in this manner at odds or living out of context with life can be extremely demoralizing. And in this realm of seekers of truth and the blog spheres and the podcasters today and all the postmodern conspiracy researchers and speculators and everything going on out there, we, we, we find, in, in fact... The, the constant uh, dialogue being expressed by people who have devoted their lives to seeking truth, people who have devoted their lives to considering things outside the box, to, to you know, pursue knowledge for knowledge's sake, to pursue art for art's sake. We find more and more reports coming back to us constantly about how people struggle materially, how they struggle financially how they struggle emotionally, how they struggle in relationships, how they struggle, 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 hardship, struggle. Because in our world, it seems like everything is geared against the, the pursuits of, of uh, 
excellence per se, uh, intellectual excellence, moral excellence, these things, uh, or artistic excellence, if you will, these things are uh, anathema to the pursuit of happiness as classified in our progressive modern world, which is, in fact, as we know, the pursuit of, of money, right? Pursuit of material security. And we also know that materialism always wins out, right? <laughs> it always wins. That's how come it was so easy to marginalize me in the lodge systems, ladies and gentlemen, because I, whenever I'd speak about a thing, you know, you could, yeah, listen to me, right? So the average, the average American Freemason neophyte coming into a lodge, right? He looks at me. I am. Uh, I'm a wage slave. I'm a worker. I'm a. I'm a worker drone. I, I'm. I'm a proletariat. I'm a. You know, another guy struggling every day. If I can't get up and go out to work, I'm in financial ruin. So I'm just a. A series. A few. A few unfortunate events. A series of unfortunate events away from total financial ruin. That's how tenuous my material existence is most of the time. So if I speak about all these eternal truths and all this ancient and forbidden knowledge and all this stuff to a neophyte, right? But at the end of the day, if you, if you do as I do, you get what I get, right? It'd be easy to attack me. I'm an easy target to anyone who is coming from a materialist point of view because I am not financially successful. And, you know, in order to remain uh, legitimate or have credibility in the – in the <laughs> in the sphere of of the research and exchange and dialogue and debate and rhetoric we have, it almost is beholden to me to remain unsuccessful in my life in order to maintain credibility. Because if you become successful and established in the mainstream and have the financial security to pursue more and more uh, further and further research and, and produce greater and greater media, well, then you must be compromised, right? <laughs> or how do you not become compromised? Maybe that's the, the true question, right? And this is something I think a lot of people in this, in this genre or in this particular medium, a lot of people struggle with this, in fact. But So living life out of context with uh, the whole world around you. You know, this is, this is part of the outsider mentality. And the effects, is, like I said, it's just demoralizing. And Jean-Paul Sartre, who was a famous French uh, philosopher, said that without meaning, our will, or the ego, would normally impose, without meaning, our will would normally impose on it, existence is absurd. <laughs> According to Sartre, there is no choice. There is only uselessness and knowing it, or being useless and not knowing it. <laughs> the existentialist man seems a useless passion, according to Sartre, because it's really, you know, that's the, the, the existentialism to the, to the fullest, you know. But H.G. Uh, Wells, a lifelong, uh, basically a lifelong atheist, a scientific uh, rationalist most of his life, he expressed this struggle for himself with, with meaning, you know, the will to meaning, as it were, in his own little known reversal on materialism. Not many people know that right before H.G. Wells died, he wrote a book or a, a small pamphlet, a booklet called The Mind at the End of Its Tether, <laughs> which was kind of like a recanting of all of his scientific materialism up until that point, almost like as he peered over the edge of total oblivion and uh, eternity, he started thinking, wait a second, maybe I was wrong about this, you know, <laughs> maybe I want some meaning in my life, and I want it to be more than just, uh, you know, uh, rational certitude, and so, he, you know, <laughs> And then Elliot, T.S. Elliot, with the wasteland, uh, it's hollow and stuffed men that speaks of it as well. Uh, you know, 
for for too long, I have felt myself, and I know others can relate to this. I have been the chicken little of my own little world, you know, uh, in the in the circle of people I've associated with, and and just feeling so frustrated by this. The intellectual outsider is now. There's this aspect to it, the person that – because remember, the word is not the thing. The map is not the territory. And knowing the difference, that is true enlightenment. Knowing the difference between whether or not the, you know, the, the word is not the thing, right? The map is not the territory. This is important because this this, – this, this, it's, you know, it's almost like the zen of it, I guess, is what – and I'll elaborate on what I mean by that, but – you know, in the in the country of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? And he alone is aware of the truth. And if all men were aware of that uh, of it, then all life would end as as understood by all people. And this is this is also important. The outsider expresses themselves in in existential terms. So there's that aspect to it. But then the, the other side of it is, I often wonder in our world today, are we not producing a, a society of outsiders? In many ways, because we're all divided and isolated into our little digital framework with our little handheld digital device and streaming the Internet. And we're all, you know, right now I'm sitting in my little monk cell, you know, uh, warmly ensconced on the northeast Atlantic, you know, in the inner sanctum studios, just uh, with my red candle burning. And I'm and I'm in this little isolated monk cell chamber in the 21st century communicating to the world. Wow. What a mind blower. Right. But am I. It is like the outsider mentality to the fullest. So then I started thinking about this. Okay, so if we are producing the little outsider, you know, the postmodern outsider in, in a society of outsiders, well, you know, on the global power elite, the powers that shouldn't be side of it, it's like, oh, they're winning. They're isolating us all and disempowering us and all. But no, yeah, okay. So maybe, maybe from one perspective. But also think about this from another perspective. Think about this. Through this is our power because they cannot stop a billion individual cells, active operative cells, insurgents, if you will. I, I talk of the psychoacoustic insurgency that we're committing right here on this radio show, the, the sonic revolution, right? So the idealistic aspect of it is, is that they can't stop everybody if every cell is going in a different direction and non-compliance and artistic expression and seeking the truth and expressing the truth. So it's almost as if the very thing that may be our undoing is also potentially our salvation or our redemption, which constantly seems to be a theme over and over again. Just like the theme of, of creating a fraudulent atmosphere in which everyone operates almost in a state of fear of exposure. Because you know, like the teacher at the, the front of the class in my, in my schooling days, they were so scared of being exposed. And all it took was me asking a few calculated questions and providing alternative source material to contradict the curriculum. And their entire house of cards would come tumbling down. And that's what they hated. So what they do is they targeted me. And they'd make fun of me in front of the other kids. And they would enlist the aid of the, my peers. And I know some of you people listening to the show tonight grew up with me and know who I am. And they sat in those classrooms and they know what I'm talking about. People become targets. And they become targets to be ridiculed and humiliated publicly in order to disempower them, in order to marginalize. It's the old ad hominem attack. And it happened to me over and over again. 
emotional, mental abuse from the, uh, from the teachers and principals, as well as physical assaults from teachers when they were pushed to the point of breaking. And I was the child, and they were an adult, and they would physically assault me. Happened more than once. This is all part of, uh, a, you know, an elaborate process, right, of awakening to the truth. And it, it basically took a huge toll on me psychically because it created a complex, a feeling inside of me like I'm a failure, I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I can't fit in. Why can't I live life normally like all the other kids? When the report card day came out and everybody opened up their little orange folder, the little envelope, and pulled out the card with the A, B, C, D, F, A, B, C, D, F, right? (laughs) Everybody wanted A's, straight A's, and all the kids with the straight A's would be like, look at my straight A's, you know? And then there was me. And I usually, from elementary school to junior high, had straight Fs or D minuses across the board. And I would hold it up proudly and I'd show the other kids. And the crazy ironic thing was is they passed me grade after grade with straight Fs until I got into junior high and high school. And then that kind of stuff caught up with me because meanwhile, while I was fighting this little ideological struggle, this little personal revolution, I was not in fact learning study skills that, you know, are really necessary. Remember we talked about Knowledge, like logic, rhetoric, grammar, these things, you do have to learn some basic skills in order to process knowledge and, you know, and uh, cultivate wisdom, as it were, within yourself, critical thinking, independent thought. You have to have some certain skills to communicate that, you know, and to process. And, and so I ignored everything, even the good things that they were trying to teach me. So I had to play quick catch-up, but it took time. I, I actually was so frustrated by the time it all caught up with me, I, I dropped out of school. I left high school at 10th grade, took off and you know, lived on the streets, lived completely like a, a transient, a vagabond. As, as a teenager in a very you know, pretty affluent little New England town, I was about the only homeless 17-year-old I knew. I slept uh, in the woods. I slept on the beach. I slept in bathrooms in the freezing cold because they had heat, you know. And, and these are the kind of things that an outsider who takes his idealism to the extreme, <laughs> you know, where I rejected work. You know, to me, the idea of enslaving myself for an hourly wage, it's still something I struggle with. Hence the fact I, you know, I struggle financially with my existence. I... I as I said, I live a life teetering on the edge of financial ruin most of the time. So when I wrote a book five years ago, I started this book project, really. It took about five years, six years maybe. I was seven years in the lodge, and within a year of being in the lodge, I knew this project was starting to manifest within my mind. And, but during the time I was writing it, I was having to work full-time, you know, have a family, raise children, be married, and, and be a, a active member of the lodge which meant I was a member of nine different esoteric orders, so I was comp- my dance ticket was full, is what I'm saying. And the stress of it all reached a point of breaking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was doing a radio show for years, live each week, uh, processing other people's media and interviewing them, and all of it just came to a head. And I kind of had a sort of a breakdown for a minute. I mean, I, I definitely needed, uh, I had sort of what we what could be classified as personality fatigue. I had to take a step back from it all, and after the book was published, I, you know, went through a process of extricating myself from doing the show for a while and, you know, kind of bowed out and stepped down and, and just let the, everything settle, you know, the dust settle as it would. And, uh, and then uh, I started promoting the book as much as I could because I independently published it, which is a whole other story in and of itself.
But, you know, as I was saying, that the outsider, outsiders express themselves in terms that are distinguished that between being and nothingness. You know, it's meaning or non-meaning. According to Barbus, another existentialist, death was the most important of all ideas. And why? Because it separates being and not being, right? And so we spend our time in this culture running from this idea, but uh, reason leads, uh, seems to lead to an impasse at all times with, uh, with the idea of, of such finalities, you know? And, and, and why do I speak all of a sudden? I jump from that subject of, of the book to the idea of finalities and again to the existential aspect because I had, you know, it, as I spoke of, I come from working class people. This is, I was not a part of the, uh, you know, the Brahmin class, as it were. I was a part of the, uh, <laughs> the, the merchant or the, wor- the working class, you know, in our, in our caste system. So to, to step out of line, uh, in the factory, you know, THX 1138, get back in line and keep building your robot. No, I step outside of it and I ask questions. I look around, I pull back the curtain and look behind the, the man behind the curtain and, and, and start to, uh, question the actions of our society and start to call attention to the more inhumane aspects of the lack of morality within our culture, you know? And this stuff is, uh, this is where we enter into that whole outsider mentality once again. So, you know, moving, moving forward from there, it's, it all boils down, I think, to meaning, to will to meaning. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Will to Meaning. He was a a Jewish German, I believe, who was – he wrote the book and then the Nazis burned his book and put him in a concentration camp and he wrote the book again in his mind all through the camp, survived. I think his entire family was killed in front of him. He survived, gets out and publishes this book called Will to Meaning, which is uh, – you know, it's kind of a stuffy study, you know, psychological study, but it really raises a lot of important aspects to this, you know, the idea of – what what it's me, meaning is what gives us purpose it seems, and so having gone through the experiences that I laid out in the Secret War inside Freemasonry, which is again like a, almost like a micro a story of my life as well as a history of Freemasonry in America, it seemed like it meant something to produce this book, and and if you want to call that an agenda, I guess it is an agenda in the sense that it all fell into place, it all seemed inspired. And when I, when I, uh, when it was completed and I looked at the finished product, I was extremely satisfied. I felt as if at times I was amazed when I'd read the book because it seemed like at times I asked myself, wow, did I, I actually wrote this. Did I write that? It was it just, uh, almost as if the hand was moving itself at times, which you hear from writers. You hear that. Uh, uh, there are other writers who speak of this, you know. So, you know. Moving forward from that now, I, I, the psychic price that one pays is greatest, I think, when we look at our current situation. Here we are in a world where we're right now in America, for example, moving towards the latest election cycle. You know, we're involved. We're deeply involved, right, in this latest election cycle. And, and, and from where I sit, it's, it seems nothing but a farce to me. I, I find it to be fake. It's like we're living in a Philip K. Dick novel for real. And I read all those books, you know, almost 20 years ago now. And <laughs> they were about a near future time where this fascist, you know, neo-fascist, progressive American world where 
Well, let's see. There was no two parties, no left, no right anymore, just a Hegelian dialect to distract everybody. There was, you know, <laughs> only one real party, a party we, we call we could call it the Wall Street Party, right? But they might have called it the Global Corporation Party or whatever. And, I mean, this is something for, for me personally, reading those books 20 years ago and then having my own ideas and seeing the parallels within my own society and thinking to myself, I concluded 20 years ago and began writing my own short stories depicting a near future where a global power elite would run the U.S. and the world. And, there, you know, <laughs> wow, here we find ourselves in this world where there is no – there is seemingly no ideology left in politics. Politics, really, right? This Wall Street Party killed JFK. They staged Watergate. They they staged 9/11. Raped our economy, you know, uh, through deregulation and crooked, inhumane monetary policies. And these are all represent Republicans and Democratic representatives. You know, Bushes and Clintons, all working together, ladies and gentlemen. Everyone, don't you see? It's people. Soil and green is people, everybody. You know, the emperor's wearing no clothes. The sky is falling. Whatever it takes, people, we need all to wake up. You know, my whole life I've been told to avoid politics and, rev and religion, right, in, po in polite conversation. In the lodge, we were instructed. It's, you know, the Masons were told to avoid these topics in no uncertain terms. So does the 12-step programs. They all avoid controversial issues in politics and religion. That's because politics and religions in America are to a total sham. It's a fraud. They are completely compromised, top down. And that's the bottom line. So it's, I think at this point we need to engage in what I put in the back of my book, The Secret One Side of Freemason, was references for meta-programming, meta-reprogramming. Meta-reprogramming is creating a new neurological circuit in your consciousness, <laughs> at will, if you will, because it, we, we require – reprogramming and uh part of the process i think is exposing ourselves to independent thought critical thinking and to insider views on things we got to listen to people who have gone through things and experienced it to understand something especially something as misunderstood as freemasonry as misunderstood as lodge systems in america and the world and as misunderstood as the teachings that are espoused therein. So, like I said at the beginning of the show, somebody told, said I had an agenda. There was an agenda behind my book. And I, I agree. Yeah, there is an agenda. And the agenda is to, to give voice to a silent majority. Those who came into the halls of Freemasonry seeking truth, <coughs> seeking enlightenment, you know, and they found a good old boy network or a cronyism or maybe even a system that was designed to shut down critical thinking, not inspire and, and encourage and cultivate it. And so it's to these people that I wanted to present some things that I discovered in my research of, with access to so many pages and pages of documents and books that there was, in fact, something else that Freemasonry had been, had been intended for and that it's still contained therein, but also, but also that it wasn't in fact the exclusive holder, did not have exclusive rights and corner the market on these ideas and on these principles and on these teachings, that these were in fact, the, basically, <coughs> excuse me, Western mystery traditions were in fact the birthright of all humanity. 
And that's something that I, you know, I talked about in this book. So I'm going to commence this, the readings from The Secret War right now with the introduction. So here it goes. It's on the Roman numeral X. <laughs> that's where it starts. So it's the pre-page, pre-page 10, right? Introduction. The Secret War Inside Freemasonry by Freighter X. I've been preparing for this book my entire adult life. I began my obsession with Freemasonry during my time studying at the University of Massachusetts Harbor Campus in Boston. Having run the gambit of Eastern studies and philosophy and mysticism, I found myself on the back doorstep of Western tradition, so to speak, searching for the great Western esoteric mystical zeitgeist, the lost spirit of Western mysticism, my own grail quest. My studies in Hinduism, Taoism, and most especially Zen Buddhism had me painfully aware that besides the strong overbearing church traditions and oppositional stances to them, there was a vacuum in Western spirituality, an absence of sacred tradition and a gap in continuity within my own psyche as well as within the very Western culture of my upbringing. During my time at university, my stepfather joined the, lo the local Blue Lodge, quote-unquote, or Lodge of free and, Ancient Free and Accepted Masons, AF and AM, in our, our colonial New England hometown. A series of synchronous events converge at this time in my awareness, events which I view now as signals of something significant lurking imperceptibly, imperceptible, just outside the field of everyday consciousness. President George... George Herbert Walker Bush, former director of the CIA, former vice president under Reagan, had prosecuted the speediest war in history with Operation Desert Storm in the first Gulf War in Iraq. He announced the ushering in of the New World Order on September 11, 1991, and then on to a new president. The Unabomber printed his manifesto in the New York Times. O.J. was acquitted. Waco burned to the ground, and Oklahoma City blew up. It was the 90s, and President Clinton led the hedonism parade like some postmodern Pied Piper. I, still, I can still see Hillary and the Gores dancing on inauguration night and Bill playing his sax and Fleetwood Mac singing in the background. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. The myth of progress was wearing thin, but we all jumped in the pool anyway, it seems, and, led the, and let the warm, chemically treated waters wash over us. But somewhere in there, in the midst of all this, a seed was planted in me. A grail question grew that had to be answered. I viewed the film JFK later than most, having spent the late 80s and early 90s drifting across America, sleeping in national forests and elsewhere, outside, off the grid, far from movie theaters and cable television, the cable television of my upbringing. I was out of the loop. Upon returning to the quote-unquote real world, I finally caught the film in the mid-90s after discussing with a friend the deceptive nature of reality presented to us by mainstream views, pop culture, and media reinforced through civic mythology. I had made some sweeping generalizations, as I often do, not, that nothing was what it seems and everything we know is wrong. My friend Joe quickly retorted, of course, I mean, just look at that movie JFK, for example. If we are to believe that film, and that's how it all started. After that, my first viewing of the film, after that first viewing of the film, the shells fell away from my eyes, and my life and those closest to me were never the same. I'm a natural-born researcher. When life presents me with a problem, I must solve it, and I use information to accomplish this task. The glaring moral dilemma that is the difference between the spiritual ideals of mainstream religious institutions of the world and their actual approach to reality applying the doctrines which form around the teachings and tenets was a puzzle I had to solve. 
The crisis which arose in my own psyche, being raised in a culture dominated by religious or anti-religious thought. The next 20 years of my life and beyond were devoted to discovering and comparing all the religions of the world and humanity, going back to their origins. I eventually came to the conclusion that there was are truly thousands, millions, even billions of paths up the spiritual mountaintop. No one way excluded all others. There was no one universal religion. And if one church or temple didn't work for you, you found another, or none at all. In the immortal last words of the Buddha, doubt and find your own light. Along the way, I discovered the lost mysteries of the sacred wisdom teachings of humanity, something that never would have happened had I not set out on the quest for truth to begin with. Of course, the fate of my immortal soul lay in the balance, or so I had been conditioned to believe. And when I finally awoke to the significance of the fraternal lodge system and a subject of selective interest with regards to the great enigma that is the United States of America and its cultural heritage, I set out once again on such a quest for truth as matters such as these of the spirit and psyche required. I dare say demanded, at least in myself. For a very long time, it seemed to me that no one was interested in what was now what is now considered the main corpus of truth or subjects, or should I, we say truth or curriculum, those subjects dealing with government conspiracies and cover-ups, false flag events, fake moon landings, dark and cold and mysticism and the secret societies running amok, cavorting with aliens and trans-dimensional demons, as well as Anunnaki, alien astronaut progenitors theories, astrotheology, cryptozoology, cryptoarchaeology, all these subjects and many more unnamed substream topics clutter the chat rooms and blog pages of the whole wide world web. More and more each day, that post 9-11 America, people have had the shells removed from their own eyes. People have awakened with their continue and they continue to awaken every day. The question official story, they question official stories. Suspect the truth is being concealed. This develops naturally in people, I think, once they start to uncover what has been covered up. Live by the sword and die by the sword. The more you suspect, the more suspicious the world and its inhabitants become. The trick, as usual, is balance and intent. My research into Freemasonry and the fraternal lodge system and traditions in America was long and arduous. I approached the subject at first with skepticism and suspicion. It was an easy position to take with all the scathing bad press out there about Freemasonry and other fraternal esoteric orders in general. Yet for every indicting expose, there were ten more books filled with wonder, insight, and a rich understanding of humanity that was undeniable. The dichotomy was very perplexing. When I reached the limits of understanding that I, my uninitiated status allowed me access to, I needed to know what actually went on in the August Halls of the Lodge behind closed doors. What secrets were in fact contained therein. My quest remained ever vigilant, though oftentimes tabled or placed on the back burner while more pressing needs demanded attention. Life goes on and we struggle, persist, and move forward. All along the way, I, you know, I met Oh, sorry. Along the way, I met my wife, and we brought four wonderful children into this world. As my small family grew and the biological realizations of fatherhood gained prominence in my psyche, I once again sought to uncover within my own awareness the sort of rich tradition and cultural heritage I could bequeath to my offspring. And here again, I was struck with the stark realization that my own lack therein of true and certain mystical understanding of context a frame of reference to guide my children towards our own understanding and consideration of the answers to life's three great questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? And where are we going? Once again, I recognized a vacuum within the great, within, oh, excuse me. Once again, I recognized a vacuum where the great mystery of Western tradition once resided. In life, we are called to attend and engage events of fate and moments of destiny 
With some events, we have a choice. We can change direction. We can switch paths. We reverse the flow. Others are unavoidable. We careen towards them like a vehicle out of control and collide with them in spite of all of our best efforts to evade contact. When we are called to something by an inner passion, a divine zeal, one might say, we must answer the call. In 2003-2004, I uncovered the lost history of my own family and discovered my mother's maternal grandfather, whom I had known until my late teens, was descended from a former POW of English Civil War of the English Civil War of 1650. It seems Ancestor X had been one of the sons of the Lairds of Lust in Scotland and on the losing end of the Battle of September, as it was known. Placed in chains along with thousands of other prisoners, he was marched to the dungeon by the sea to await transportation to the colonies as one of Cromwell's favorite means of ethnic, ethnic cleansing. After 13-odd years in, in the bog iron mines of Quincy, Mass., Ancestor X was released into the New World to manifest his own destiny. He was eventually killed by Samoset tribesmen near Rehoboth, Massachusetts, on the eve of battle in King Philip's War in 1675. His son settled in my hometown in 1690, where my family remained ever since, though they somehow forgot their past. Closer research of my family tree traced the roots of all the way back to Scotland, circa 1245 A.D., where my family received the title of Laird from the Earl of Lennox. And, let's see, then further back to Ireland, 9th century, during the North's invasions of Connacht kingdoms. My clan followed one of the kings of Connacht from Ireland to the Western Isles of Scotland, probably fleeing the Vikings. One of my ancestors became a monk, a hermit, on one of the many isles, little inlets peppering the locks and waterways in the region's being named Monk's Isle after him. He was eventually canonized as a saint. Tracing back through the bloodlines of knighted lairds in my family, I found that every one of them was an initiate in one order or another. In the 14th century, just after the time of the betrayal of the original Knights Templar, ordered by Pope Clement and King Philip the Fair, October 13, 1307, one Sir John was initiated into the Order of the Grail, according to one obscure entry I found. Another Sir John from the 16th and early 17th century was listed as a necromancer and was, in point of fact, the last known practitioner of black magic and the dark arts in my family in Scotland's history. He died in exile in Sicily. It was all there for anyone to find online and in a few public and private libraries and archives. A lost history of my family, which I had unwrapped which ironically seemed to explain my own struggles internally and externally with personal destiny. This discovery awakened with me, within me, which, excuse me, this discovery awakened something in me which demanded attention. I'd been wrestling for years with a secret desire to know more about the Lodge and its inner workings. I felt drawn, albeit with a lingering skepticism, to the notion of joining a Lodge in order to know and better understand what I had gathered from my years of independent research. I seemed to understand the esoteric aspects of the Fraternal Lodge system that beyond the charitable events of the Friends of Mason's cookouts, there was a secret hidden tradition spanning centuries, maybe even millennia, a motto of today's Lodge being ancient light in modern times. I was... I had stumbled upon the notion that many were mistaken in their indictments of the esoteric orders and the systems of spiritual development as I had beginning to understand them. I suspected that, in fact, many within the Lodge system themselves did not even realize what they belonged to. I would eventually find this to be true time and time again. In the first seven years of our marriage, my wife and I moved our family nine times searching for a home to call our own. We settled for a time in a college town, a small city, in fact, which had become something of a hipster mecca, a place that seemed to call us back time and again during our years of wandering. In the downtown district was a Masonic temple, a magnificent stone building complete with stone columns in front of a large glass window in between 
with a shiny gold square and compasses and the letter G painted on it. Every morning at sunrise, I would walk past this structure on my way to work at a call center and stare at the golden Masonic symbol reflecting the glare of the sun's rising over the tops, downtown rooftops and wonder what I should do. I felt called within and I, it grew more and more as time passed. One particular morning as I made my usual trek, I noticed just past full moon, the just past full moon was still visible in the west, and the sun was standing just above the horizon in the east. The hermetic overtones were apparent to me. I saw myself as the Anthropos, the Adam Codman, Cadmon, passing between two forces of light and darkness, and, and right between, right towards the porch of the Masonic Temple, where two twin pillars framed a blazing symbol of the craft for my own awareness to absorb. As if to drive the point home to me, at that very moment, a larger-than-average red-tailed hawk flew across my path. It was my totem bird. This bird had special significance to me. And uh, years before I had drawn a spirit card from a basket during a full moon gathering my mother belonged, uh, brought me to, the card said, you are a red-tailed hawk chasing the wind. That was that had always stayed with me, and this enormous hawk was flying right into a golden square and compass painted on the glass of the temple. Talons outstretched as if seeking a perch. It squawked and shrieked as it scraped at the symbol in earnest and looked for a place to perch. The message seemed clear to me. I was called to join the lodge and fulfill my hermetic destiny. I traveled up the Masonic ladder quickly, discovering the little-known fact that once a man joins the Blue Lodge, as a Freemason's Lodge is called, becoming a Master Mason, he's now eligible for membership in six to eight hundred concordant orders, as in the order, as in orders that predicate membership in their order as being as one being a member of Freemasonry. Within the first three years of my Masonic career, I was initiated into over nine esoteric orders, some 20 degrees and dubbed a knight five times in chivalric orders by the end of my five years. I joined several research bodies and gained exclusive access to both public and private collections of works and materials, which met my wildest expectations and beyond. Many hours were spent with my nose buried in some ancient tome or another, much to my wife's chagrin. Finally, I had a complete picture and understood quite clearly what was contained within the Masonic corpus of teachings and instructions, especially with regards to the stewarding and guidance of self, especially, excuse me, especially with regards to the stewarding and guidance of several brothers within the lodge who had also discovered the truth, which was which we will discuss later here in the book. Never, need, needless to say, I have gathered a lot of information, and as we move forward in this story, uh, I'm just going to jump up and just going to jump forward past the the time of starting the show, and I'm going to finish this up right here. It is my conviction and guiding principle that I am called to serve the Order of the Mystic Tie as I come to think of the American fraternal. Of fraternity of ancient craft masonry. As I put pen to paper, I remain filled with hope, fervency, and zeal for the craft. It is this passion which demands this testimony of truth that it may be known and corrections be made and applied, that the proper course of education within Freemasonry might be restored and countless brethren might step out from the darkness of misconception that enshrouds our august halls and lift the veil, revering, revealing the light of certainty that truth provides. All signs and portents led me to the steps of the temple, a journey which we shall begin to recount here between the covers of this book. And it shall be an epic adventure, at least I hope you think so, a voyage of discovery through the most amazing pathways, chambers, lodge halls, and libraries. I have been so very fortunate to be blessed with an aptitude for the esoteric and the sacred, to be afforded access and the ability to travel freely within the realms of what remains of the Western fraternal esoteric traditions, the orders of chivalry and their corresponding organizations in America. 
I was proud of and cherished my membership in these orders and would not want it thought that I intended to slander or in any way degrade, dishonor, or disrespect these orders. The opposite is in fact the case. I wish to clarify, even restore understanding to the average brother Mason and uninitiated alike with regards to the highly misunderstood subjects of Freemasonry and chivalric orders, especially and specifically occult esoteric traditions in general. We will address the formation, establishment, and continuation of Masonic orders almost exclusively here in America by geography, constitution, and perspective in order to bring clarity to ever to uh, to the greater overarching theme or topic of what is the real meaning of masonry, what is the proper Masonic education, and how might it be applied to help empower the individual Freemason in the same manner as all former all forms of esoteric and occulted or hidden teachings and systems commonly referred to as Western mystery traditions. Freemasonry should rightly be considered an example of Western Western traditions in my estimation. I approach this project with apprehension, even trepidation, rooted in the desire not to dep depreciate, deprecate, or otherwise diminish the image of Freemasonry proper. It is my hope that this would not happen in the material before you. Such fear had to be put aside, however, that an accurate accounting and auditing of policies and actions by the individuals and groups which constitute a secret war, often silent and cold, within the ranks and leadership of ancient craft masonry and its appendant orders, at least here in America. A secret war which, when viewed in the context of its greater effects on the fraternity at large, can be seen as, as a microscopic view of a still greater reality of a secret war on human consciousness, orchestrated and perpetrated against society at large with the same genesis point in U.S. history. And it remains my sincerest hope that the reader might view this present work as a template to apply or even overlay upon this greater reality to which I refer within the collective social systems of the human species. Whether this goal and intention was achieved remains to be seen within the present work and by the present reader. My introduction to Freemasonry, aside from its mysterious presence in my childhood memories and recollections, of seemingly abandoned lodge structures, halls, and temples peppering the New England landscape of my birth was the news of my stepfather's admission into the Blue Lodge system in my hometown. I, too, would belong to that same lodge nearly 20 years later, becoming assistant secretary and assigned to write the history of the lodge, from which I would eventually demit or deactivate my membership. At the time, my stepfather had joined the lodge. I was away at university, discovering the true realities of secondary schooling in pursuit of the utterly non-lucrative philosophical degree, <laughs> a goal which would never be reached formally due to economic constraints as well as existential limitations, though exceedingly surpassed in independent studies. As I said, I was initially suspicious, but, you know, I moved forward from there. And I, we're almost running out of time here, but I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, I'll pick it up when we come back from the break. I'll finish this last couple pages, and then we'll bring in our good friend Jordan Maxwell to continue our conversation from last week. But thanks for bearing with me for this introduction. This is the uh, first of readings from the Secret War with Freighter X here in the middle chamber. And uh, as I said before at the beginning of the show, check out my blog, FreighterX.blogspot.com, as well as middle chamber, the letters FX.wordpress.com. That's for copies of this book we're reading, The Secret War Inside Freemason, which is also available on Amazon. And review all the material that you find when you go there. Review and rate, rank, and review all media from FreighterX and middle chamber. And we're about to go to our breaks. So and when we return, we'll continue with the middle chamber. I'm Freighter X, and we're going to be welcoming Jordan Maxwell to the conversation as well. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday, uh, last week, which was <laughs> – anybody who heard that show last week, strap in because it's going to be uh, another amazing ride this next hour right here in the middle chamber. <laughs> and uh, I think we're going to break here any second. Okay.
Anyways, I was going to have open lines, but I actually am not going to have open lines because I want to be able to have as much of a conversation with Jordan as we can with the hour. And, you know, oftentimes when you open the phone lines up, it kind of breaks the continuity of a conversation, especially if you're into a subject. It kind of gets derailed or you digress into a question that's something that was brought up before and it's hard to get back on track. So with the the material we're going over here today, tonight, we'd rather have uh, as much time as we can. So when we return, we'll be back. Middle Chamber with Freighter X and Jordan Maxwell. Stay tuned, everybody. American Freedom Radio. No fear of doom. There are 3 million edible food plants on Earth, and none have the nutritional value of the hemp plant. HempUSA.org offers you hemp protein powder. It does not contain chemicals or THC, is non-GMO, and is 100% gluten-free. Hemp protein powder burns fat, builds muscle, contains 53% protein, and feeds the body the nutrients it needs. Call 888-910-4367 and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you. Only at HempUSA.org. HempUSA.org introduces three brand new detox formulations of micro plant powder. Brain Fuel for depression, bipolar disorders, and stress. Total Care, anti-cancer agent that cleans the liver and organs and increases memory. Rejuvenate, invigorates and heals the body, mind, and spirit. These products are your alternative to pharmaceuticals. Call 888-910-4367 and like us on Facebook. We ship worldwide only at HempUSA.org. We all know that they're not telling us the truth. So stand up for your rights, demand the real medicine, and your right to use it and grow it. This is Rick Sensen, and you're listening to American Freedom Radio. The last hour of American Freedom Radio you have been listening to is proudly sponsored in part by BigRiggyMix.com, the global healing station. Produced by Mitch Santel and executive produced by none other than Errol Brown, winner of five Grammy Awards and the last producer and engineer of Bob Marley. Visit us now at BigReggieMix.com for the latest show schedule, updates, and blog postings. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, too. BigReggieMix.com Tell the truth. Don't be bullshitting people. There's enough bullshit as it is. In fact, there's just enough. Did you know that? There's just enough bullshit to hold things together in this country. Bullshit is the glue that binds us as a nation. Where would we be without our safe, familiar American bullshit? Land of the free, home of the brave, the American dream. All men are equal, justice is blind, the press is free. Your vote counts. 
Business is honest, the good guys win, the police are on your side, God is watching you, your standard of living will never decline, and everything is going to be just fine. The official national bullshit story. I call it the American Okie Doke. You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio in service to the community with strength, wisdom and loyalty. The founders of AFI wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs and artillery batteries not included. No rules. No rules. No taboo topics. No taboo topics. No fear of doom. No fear of doom. We are. We are. American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio. There is a halfway mark between the known and unknown, a middle ground or chamber where divine wisdom and truth reside. Welcome to the middle chamber. Welcome back, everyone, to the middle chamber. I am your hyperdimensional host, Freighter X. We're about to welcome Jordan Maxwell into Inner Sanctum Studio here for the second half of our show. But before we do, I just want to wrap up the first of Readings from the Secret War. This is the introduction. I'm almost done, literally just three or four paragraphs. So unfortunately, I couldn't squeeze it all in the amount of time I had at the beginning of the first or the end of the first hour. But I just wanted to wrap it up. So in case anyone really was interested in how this all concluded, the introduction. (laughs) So anyways. As I stated before, I was initially suspicious of the Lodge, never having been one to follow the crowd, no matter what my desire to be accepted and valued. I intuitively feared the secrecy and elitism I perceived emanating from behind the Lodge, the lodge room doors in the inner sanctum. I was both intrigued and puzzled by my stepfather's choice to join, as he was one of the few people I recognized as good, honorable, and trustworthy. In order to properly understand his actions and motives, I undertook a massive enterprise of studying the extensive reading of studying extensive reading, cross-referencing, and researching anything and everything to do with Freemasonry and esoteric orders in general. And included in this search was what I found regarding my own family history, a long line of of initiates, crusader knights, and clerics, holy men, and priestesses, nuns, and monks. I learned from my search that my ancestors had fought in every armed conflict in American history, from the King Philip's War to the French and Indian War, the American Revolution to the War of 1812, the war with... Mexico to the Civil War, on and on, everyone in between, all the way to Vietnam. My immediate family's names were all there, including my own, my mother's, 
my sisters, in the various web databases I consulted, such as Mormon Family Search, and, Morm- and the Mormons endeavor to catalog all of our bloodlines, is a whole other story on its own. The more I looked, the more I found. And needless to say, I was amazed and impressed and fundamentally influenced by this historic and prestigious line. In all, it all seemed to make sense then. My interest in the esoteric, my outlook and aptitude with regards to occult philosophies and hermetic arts. There was no doubt or question either. My path seemed obvious. I began to consider somewhat fantastical, Lovecraftian musings of past lives and secret destinies interweaving through generations, lifetimes, and bloodlines, and wondered at the implications of such notions. My search, research and studies stepped up considerably to the neglect and somewhat detriment of all else in my life at the time. During those years, I could be found most days buried behind high stacks of old books and volumes of materials spanning the ages of humanity. I was driven obsessed, and I could not stop. As I have pointed out, I began my research from a suspicious slant, embracing all the bad press, even parroting to others what I now consider mostly misinformation or, and or disinformation, along with general, genuine, chronicled accounts of the sick and twisted acts of individuals mar- marring the image of entire groups or organizations. The more I studied the good and bad press that was being broadcast to the world, the more I became convinced that as with many things in life, people get things wrong. At first, I suspected those outside the halls of initiation were the only ones mistaken. The quote-unquote profane or uninitiated, including myself, were simply unable to understand that which we had no experiential frame of reference and therefore feared, misjudged, and misconstrued what we didn't comprehend. What I discovered when I finally entered the temple myself and took my place among the brethren of the mystic tie was that many, if not the great majority of those within who had an experiential frame of reference and symbolic instruction were just as mistaken and misinformed with regards to the true nature and meaning of Freemasonry or ancient craft masonry, its proper name, as it was originally intended and propagated here in, here in America, at least. This work is an attempt to set the record straight, correct this condition, and restore Masonic education in Freemasonry here in modern times. Enjoy. Freighter X twelve sixteen thirteen. So that's uh, that's the introduction, and uh, we'll pick it up at other time. We'll continue with readings from the Secret War, but uh, at this point, I don't want to waste any more time because we only have fifty minutes left. So five oh, that is fifty minutes left. I want to welcome our esteemed guest once again into the middle chamber, Jordan Maxwell. Thank you for bearing with me as I, uh, you know, waxed uh, rhetorical there. <laughs> How are you this evening? Well, I'm still here. Thank you for inviting me back. <clears throat> I almost don't need to be on this show tonight because everything you said in the first hour is uh that's it. You said everything I would like to have said. <laughs> that's everything. I mean, I, I'm at a loss for where do we go from here because you expressed it so uh so correctly how Things happen in your life when you get off the uh, <clears throat> the main stream and take off on a side road and begin doing your own thinking. You're going to pay a terrible price, and that's why most people would much, much rather just drink their beer, <clears throat> go to the movies, and not have to worry about or think about anything and just accept your position as a dog and crawl on your knees to your masters and... Uh, <clears throat> Actually, ignorance is bliss because as long as you don't know and you don't want to know 
and you're not interested to know, <clears throat> then uh, everyone will love you, and the family will be happy with you, and you'll do well at work, and you'll be very happy to the day you die, and never realize that you were a, you, were, you were a prisoner of your own making. <clears throat> and I used to think when I was a kid, I would hate to grow up and end up in an old folks' home at 90 years old, and never ever. <clears throat> uh, Look at what I could have done, what I could have been. I could have done something. I could have been an astronaut. I could have been, uh, you know, uh, I could have been a professional. I could have done many things. I could have traveled. I could have known. I could have been a scientist. <clears throat> but I was a, I was frightened to death that I would uh, offend God or my neighbors. And so I did nothing. And uh, happily, nobody attacked me, and everything would be fine. <clears throat> but I couldn't deal with that kind of non-life. I always felt, I'm here to do something. I, I'm not interested in being uh, accepted by my, by my uh, friends and by my you know, family. I, I'm not, I don't care about being accepted. I care about truth. I want to know where, you know, where I came from, why am I here, and where am I going when I leave here, and who's really in control of life. And uh, talk to me about God. Well, <clears throat> I've had enough of people talking to me about God, and the Lord said this, and the Lord told me that. Then you come to find out these are mentally deranged people who are hoping. You know, I so much of what I see in religion today, especially Christianity, I say, <clears throat> is tantamount to walking, uh, whistling through the graveyard on your way home. People <laughs> yes. are whistling through the graveyard on their way home. They they they're scared to death. They know something evil is in the graveyard. But to make them feel that everything's all right, they just whistle to themselves, assuring themselves that everything's fine. Well, everything isn't fine. Look at the m murder and violence and drug addiction. And uh, all of the horrors that people have to live through today, uh, eating off of trash piles and sleeping under bridges while people, while other people roam around <clears throat> in public in gold chariots and flip the cigarette ashes on you. So I've, uh, I, I had the same identical life that you did. I learned a hard way that any time you step out of line and want to know. And apply yourself to knowledge and understanding and start studying every day. You're going to pay a terrible price. You have no idea in the world what you're doing and what you're getting yourself into. And, uh, and of course, a lot of the good people who are doing magnificent work end up in prisons or somehow or another ended up dead in an alley somewhere or had a bad accident and, uh, and so I realize now, I look back on it after some 60 years of doing what I do, <clears throat> I see it now very clearly that there is a demonic presence, uh, an otherworld demonic presence on this earth, and that it is uh, it's able to make your life miserable and make you die if it wants to. And so uh, if you venture outside of what is acceptable uh, then you're going to pay a terrible price 
No, I, I have think, paid I, the jailbook price. I think, can I just interject a little bit here, yeah. Jordan? I think that it's even, we, I think people who emanate a vibrational frequency pattern of truth or consideration or uh, apprehension or anything attract, they become targeted by the very entity you speak of, the parasitic, you know, uh, infestation that seems to be holding our whole species hostage here, it draws itself right towards, that's that controlled opposition. You you find oh, it God, yes. over and over again. And, and right within the, the current truther community, there's been so many aborted network attempts where people are brought together under the auspices of somebody's one ideals and it all just like fails, implodes, or one person, like your own uh, experiences and mine as well, with people locking you out of websites, stealing all your media, shutting everything down, and then it's all attempts to demoralize the individual, to give them such a sense of frustration and a, a apathy, like it doesn't matter. Everything I attempt to do gets completely shut down or stolen. Why should I even bother? And then going along with what you said a moment ago about whistling past the graveyard. It's like our uh, the, the shutting down of the metaphysical. It's a bait and switch. Materialism shuts down the metaphysical so that we all cleave only recognizing the physical phenomenon. And therefore, it creates a sense of anxiety and terror because we know we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen next, right? So we have, to, right. So we have yeah. to cling to what? To dogma. To the dogma of the church or the dogma of the party or the dogma of your sports team or the dogma of whatever – that will make you feel safe, make you feel like it's all been figured out for you. If you just follow the instructions, it's all going to be okay. Everything's under control. Don't worry. Drink your beer and watch NASCAR. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and when you look at religion long enough, uh, you will begin to find uh, it's, it's called, uh, what is it called? Pattern Recognition. And this is something I've been doing all of my life. I see patterns in, in organizations and concepts and peoples. I see patterns. And, uh, the, and you can't help but if you're watching the world and, and intensely watching the patterns of how people act, and you all of a sudden, one day, it becomes apparent to you that the entire world of men Kind is under some kind of a spell. It's under some kind of a off-world, other-world, <clears throat> demonic uh, presence on the earth that is causing the whole human race to implode. You know, we've lost our country. We've lost our freedoms. We've lost our our our, our banking. We've lost our money. We've lost our homes, and now there's nothing else left for Americans but to lose their minds. And now we're losing oh, yeah. our mind. People are on drugs. Children, young kids are, are realize that there's no hope for the future. They know that. Hell, I've known that all my most of my life. And so that's why they turn to drugs, alcohol, sex, drugs, entertainment, something, because they realize there's nothing legitimately de jure or real about the world we live in. It's all manufactured by humans. People, people are greedy, so they're going to, if you leave government to somebody else to run your government for you, they're going to run your government for you the way they want it to work, not the way you want it to work. Absolutely. And so I see uh, governments of the world today, 
organizations today as gangs, like gang wars. You've got this gang that's uh, vying for power, and later on they'll overthrow that gang and they'll get more power, but then another gang will come along later uh, <clears throat> and confront you. So I see the, the, the entire human race uh, is, is caught into some kind of a magical spell where they are human, where the human reasoning and logic and, and intelligence is no longer acceptable. Period. If you uh, think outside the box, if you're questioning anything, then you're probably an Al Qaeda agent or probably some Nazi or something, and you need to be reported to the authorities. Well, I saw all of this coming a long time ago, and I'm frightened for the future because I know what's going to happen to the human race when there is no longer any freedom at all. Period. And I know well, I don't want to be in that world. We've already seen it <clears throat> coming. I already watch it happening now around me. Young people have no idea in the world what's going on. Adults don't care. They've they've lost their minds a long time ago. And yeah. you know, I was in I was in San Diego one night when uh, Haley's comet was coming through. I was I was I was working at a company in San Diego, and. Um, <clears throat> I went out one night to the car, and there was about, oh, I, at least a dozen young people, uh, either junior high or high school age, all really nice kids, and I, they were standing all around by my car. And so I walked out, and they were looking up in the sky, and I looked up, and I saw Haley's Comet like them. And I said, it's beautiful, isn't it? And they said, yeah, it's really interesting. And they said, what is that? And I said, what? And he said, what is that? And I said, it's a comet. And they said, what is a comet? So I explained to them, and, and then one of the other boys in the group said, we've been, we have a question we'd like to ask you that nobody's been able to answer for us. And I said, what is that? And he said, where does the sun go? We see it come up, and then we see it go, but where does it go when it's gone? And I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, we, where does the sun go when, when it leaves? And I, I, it frightened me. It just struck me as frightening. You mean high school kids do not know where the sun goes after sundown? And, and uh, it was just amazing to me. <laughs> I have come across this so many times that young people, well-dressed, supposedly intelligent young people, <clears throat> ask questions that just blow my mind, telling me and showing me proof that what they're getting in school is anything but education. And so I, I, you know, I understand the system and how bad it really is, but it truly is frightening because what it portends for the future, it's going to be a world that you do not want to be alive in. It's going to be a world that is ruled by fascists, murdering, bloodletting, murderers. Uh, it's just an extraordinary experience to understand at my age and look back on what America could have been, what the human race was uh, at least uh, capable of as, a part, as opposed to what our government has allowed to happen to our people. It is a, it's frightening that uh, we now are living under a totalitarian, fascist, Marxist-Leninist, Soviet-Communist, Nazi, filthy, degenerate, 
empire that is raping and plundering the world and destroying our own people. They're dropping, they're, they're spraying toxic poisons on us, uh, putting toxic poisons into our food. My God, I cannot believe the things which are going on in my own country. And, uh, and of course, like I said originally, if you try and think out of the box and start asking questions, you're going to be in trouble. You can expect, and you can expect it because I've already had it happen. If you start asking too many questions and the wrong ones, you're going to get a knock on the door about three o'clock in the morning from federal agents. I've, I've had that happen. I know what is, what is capable, what this government is capable of. Knocking on your door at two or three o'clock in the morning and uh, purposely coming at that time, you open the door, wonder who the hell would be out there at three o'clock in the morning. Step outside, please. Uh, you know, federal agents. And then, now, then they put, then they begin to drill you as to who are you? What are you doing here? What are you talking about? And, uh, so I realize my country is lost. I realize that the uh, the government is is lost. I know what lost means, and I know what freedom means. And um, so I don't know where to go with all of this. But like I said, the first hour of your program, you said it all. I don't need to add much to that because everything you said was exactly how I have lived it. So uh, <laughs> I know what it's like. I know what it's like to lose your wife, your family lose your job, lose everything, and people start mocking you and laughing at you, and nobody wants to hire you, and you can't, you know, there's just no fun in living anymore because now you've seen too much. You now know too much. It's like, uh, it's like being uh, an innocent bystander to a mob hit, and you saw who did it, you saw the whole thing, Well, from now on your life is not going to be very happy. You have, you've seen something you're not supposed to see. You were unfortunately someplace where you were not supposed to be. And now you're privy to know something you're not supposed to know and God help you. Cause your days are numbered. And so that's the way I have always felt since I went professional back in 1989. I've always been interested like you. And I was doing all kinds of lectures and research and talking to people as far back as 1960s before Kennedy was assassinated. I was doing little Mickey Mouse lectures in uh, women's clubs and, and, uh, and libraries, private little things. I would go out and put up uh, notices that I'm giving a lecture, you know, and, and there would be 10, 12, maybe 15 to 20 people. Uh, and I just, I love doing that. I love uh, talking to people and causing them to wake up ask questions, etc. But when I went professional back in 1989 or mid-89, I, I had my first videos produced professionally and started uh, being uh, on the professional speaking circuit, 89. That's some 20s, I don't know, 25 years ago, whatever it is. Uh, my life just collapsed. I lost everything. I lost my marriage. I lost my home. I lost everything. I lost my family. My, my, uh, you know, and then I started losing everything. I had a, I had an emotional nervous breakdown in the uh, mid 80s to 89. It was a horrible time to realize what I had been living in was a lie. And it, and it, I, I knew there was lies, but 
I didn't realize to what extent my family, my friends, the world I live in is totally sucked into the lie. So that when my own wife and my own family began to look at me like I was, I was crazy and wanted nothing to do with me. And, uh, then little by little, I found that, boy, you're right on target when you said that people will then begin to, uh, to, uh, chide you in public. I've had so many things put out on the web by people who know who I am but purposely want to destroy my name. They mock me on my own website that they stole from me and mock my name. They mock my work. They sell my products. They make, they're making, uh, you know, last time we looked, the court ordered, uh, you know, to look at the records of these people and they made over $440,000 in four years on me selling my products at the same time they're calling me all kinds of names mocking me in the on on the web uh, so i'm telling you we live in a pretty demonic depravity in america it's demonic depravity all over the world but america we beat everybody to the gate we are the top number one demonic depravity on the face of the earth period you cannot get it any darker, dirtier, filthier, and mentally deranged than what we are in America today. So I've given my whole life to my work, just as you have. I know what's coming. I have already, I've already seen it. You don't have to be a Nostradamus to predict, uh, to predict the future. I know what's coming. But the people don't. And, uh, and it's too bad because the people are the power. The people have always been the power. Let me give you an example. Suppose, uh, suppose the king of England is going to meet with the king of Russia and the king of China and the king of America and all the great kings of the great nations are going to have a, have a summit meeting. And you happen to be the king of Fredonia, a little island off the coast of, of Africa that has 200 people on the island, but you are a king. Do you think for one minute they're going to invite you to the, to the conference of the great kings? No. Why? Because they, they got more people, they got more people working in the kitchen than you have on the island. So they're not about to ask you anything. You just need to shut up and stay out of the way. So that's exactly the situation today. I mean, we, we don't have any, we don't have any control over anything. Why? Because the people don't care. But if you've got 300 million people march on Washington, D.C., you watch what happens real quick in government. All of a sudden, you will see the blood drop from the, from the faces of the politicians, and they realize the people are out there, and there's hundreds of millions of them out there, and they're tired of being screwed over by you, and they want to see you. They're waiting for you. And they're demanding you come out. And you don't have enough army and guns to kill them all. So what are you going to do? You better, you better put on your best shirt and go out and smile and listen to the people because they are the power. But as long as you've got 325 million people who collectively have got an IQ of 40 and don't give a damn about government, truth, righteousness, and nothing else, as long as their belly's full and they've got plenty of beer to drink, and the Dodgers are playing, then who the hell cares? Well, one day it's going to come around, and one day the people of America are going to wake up and find out what Disney's really all about, 
what ABC and NBC is really all about, what the secret society, the fraternal orders, the military, the police, all of these Saturnian agencies, what they're really all about. And then it's going to be way too late. It's far too far gone. So I just sit here at 75 years old watching my country being destroyed, watching the young youth of my country coming up, having no idea in the world. They just know something bad, terrible is wrong, but they don't know where to look. I can tell them where to look. I know where it is. I've been looking at it for 60 years. So, But I know also that if I talk too much, I'm going to be found in an alley somewhere where I obviously committed suicide by shooting myself in the back of the head for three times. So I already know how this stuff works. Yeah, I know how it works. I know how this country works. I know how the powers that be in this country, they will kill you. If they see that you happen to know something you're not supposed to know and you're talking too much, you will find yourself in an alley somewhere with a gunshot in the back of the head. That is a fact of life in America, period. That's the way it works in America. We're talking mob. We're talking mafiosi. We're talking gangsterism. And so I, I understand how all of this, but I also know there's all kinds of people who are waking up. But, you know, when I, when I hear that, it, it bothers me to hear that because I get that a lot. Of, I get that a lot. People are saying, well, you know, people are waking up. And I say, yes, that's what you do when you're in prison. Every morning, the prisoners at San Quentin, they wake up. It doesn't mean anything if you're waking up. It's too late. You're already in prison. You ain't going nowhere. So if you want to wake up, yeah, well, wake up. But just you'll be waking up to the fact that you're going nowhere, that this this country is locked in, owned completely. And anybody who steps out of line will find themselves in prison or in, a, or in an alley somewhere. So, you know, but if you had enough people rise up in the streets and do something about the the situation, then the politicians would start waking up to the fact that there's far more of the people than there is of them in their little and their little clubs. So, I don't see that happening. I don't see anybody uh, rising up to do anything. I see it's just a continual uh, you know, business as usual. So I don't know where it's going to go. I feel very sad for the young children I see on the streets. I see the young children, young families having babies, never realizing for a moment what America really is, who we really are, and what we finally, uh, you know, got worked down to. I say that America started on the bottom and we worked our way down from there. So it's it's a truly a, an extraordinary thing to have to live with and and see happening and can't do anything about it. And of course, I tried to do something about it, like so many other good people are trying, but all I've gotten is ridicule and law and law lawsuits and threats and telephone threats and people threatening me, my life, my name, my work. So I just you know I just go with the flow and try and do the best I can happily that I'm 75 years old and I'm sick and not going to be here much longer and thank God for that so I just do the best I can and hope for the best but I tell you I could tell you stuff that will turn your hair white about people that I've known I know a lot of very important people in this world that you wouldn't think that I know and I've been in the company of people that you wouldn't even dream that I would know. 
So I've heard a lot, I've seen a lot, and I can tell you a lot of dark stories about some very famous people. It's an well, extraordinary story. Well, Jordan, you know, you can, <clears throat> excuse me, you can feel free to expound on any of those, but uh, just for the record, my hair is already white. <laughs> well, then you you're going to lose your hair. <laughs> well, hold on now. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, the fact of the matter is, everybody listening, this is the prognosis here. Jordan Maxwell's laid it out. It's a dark and grim looking situation. What, what do you think? Is there any hope, anybody? Or what are we going to do about it? Are we going to just let this all happen? Are we all going to just be piloted over the falls into cultural oblivion and allow our birthright to be kept from us? Because the bottom line here is we are under a global enchantment. We are being lulled into ignorance, ignorance, which means not just to be dumb or whatever. It means to literally have the capacity to think but ignore the truth, to ignore the reality of what's going on around us. And are we going to – I mean – he, he mentioned it. He, you said several times, Jordan, that the people are the real power. The only way to prevent the massing real power is to enchant them, to, to use substitutionary, protest, you know, uh, I can't remember the old term there, uh, uh, prestidigitation, you know, like an illusionist, uh, sleight of hand. A bait and switch, a three card Monty with reality. We're all being lulled into delusion and illusion. And that is the truth. When I said at the beginning of the show, we are living in a Philip K. Dick like reality in which yeah. we have, in fact, uh, nothing is real and we all are really at a loss as to be able to define the present state of humanity. Because it's in flux, and it's being moved in a transhumanist way towards something that would be considered abomination, not really human. No doubt about it. No doubt yeah. about it. Transhumanism is a very big subject with me. I've been looking at transhumanism for as long as I can remember. I know what it means. I, uh, I've been watching the slow and, and really uh, um, incredible degeneration of the human mind of the human spirit, uh, it's frightening to me because they used to make movies in Hollywood like, uh, you know, Body Snatchers and all of these sci-fi movies about people that were taken over in their country and some demon from another world came in and, and well, now took it's the over. Zombies. Now it's zombie yeah. movies. Zombies, now the right? zombies. Yeah. yeah, mindless zombies just walking around. Mindless zombies. That's it's a, it. It's, it's a parallel, everybody. They're metaphoring our true reality. You look outside, it's like a wasteland out there. Nobody talks That's to right. anybody. They're all sitting there on their little, you know, devices, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that's exactly what Hollywood is telling you. You are all a bunch of zombies. And zombies are not dying. They're already dead. They just happen to be walking around, unfortunately. But they're already dead. There is no hope for them. They're zombies. Well, that's exactly right. America is, is one. I've always felt, and I've said it a couple of times, I view America today as just, just my opinion, but I view America today as one huge, enormous kindergarten with hell's angels uh, running the place. Well, that's so good that, analogy. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, all they are, little children, little innocent children, have no idea in the world 
what they're doing. All they want to do is eat and sleep and be entertained and watch TV or do something and play ball. Little children in kindergarten, while the people who are running the kindergarten, you don't want to know who they are. You have no idea what they've got in, in, in store for you. You don't even begin to know what's coming for you. So uh, that's unfortunate. I also view America as Jabba the Hutt, remember in Star Wars, as great, big, enormous, fat, worthless, dim-witted, uh, you know, self-assuming, haughty, arrogant, uh, slob who has the, couldn't care less for values or humans or anything else, just a slave master. So, I mean, I have a very uh, jaded view on American society because I've lived it. I've been all over the country. Actually, I've been all over the world, and I've lived it. I've been there. I've been in, I've been in the company of people, as I said, you would not believe that I even know. And I've seen too much with my own eyes. So while we watch all of these wonderful Hollywood movies and TV shows and sitcoms, you will never know what's really actually going on in Hollywood, what's actually happening in Hollywood. I've been to places where they do human sacrifice, all these rituals of killing children and killing some in Hollywood, in Los Angeles. And so when you get into the underbelly of this incredible industry we call the entertainment industry and into the music, and you begin to see what life is like in the entertainment industry, it is absolutely inhuman and frightening. But young people coming in, they're young, they're beautiful, they're talented, they have no idea in the world who's doing what they're doing in Hollywood and how the Hollywood operates and where they get their power and their money from. And there's nothing I can do. I just sit and watch it and shake my head and think, boy, I wish the world has seen, could see what the things I have been involved in, listen to the very famous people, movie stars, and some of the top people in the world that I have sat and talked with and listened to their private thoughts that I could never ever tell you anything about in public while they're still alive. I mean, extraordinary stuff. I was I was in business with Zachariah Sitchin, and I helped send him around the world to five different countries, and, and I was doing some other business with him on television shows, etc. So I was in business with him, and I happened, I, and as it turns out, I had opportunities uh, that others don't normally have. I could sit and talk with him uh, for hours in Portland, Oregon, and San Diego, and Las Vegas, and different places where I was with him. And some of the stuff he told me uh, just blew my mind. I couldn't believe I was actually hearing this stuff from Zachariah Sitchin. Incredible stuff. And I thought, wow, man, I wish the world could hear this old man, what he just told me. And I couldn't do that, uh, you know. It, it, it just—I couldn't do that to hurt to uh, hurt his his name or his uh, books or anything. Because I, I think the world of Zachariah Sitchin. I still do. He's a wonderful man. He was a wonderful man. He's gone now. He did a tremendous work, in my opinion. But there's a whole lot more to Zachariah Sitchin that meets the eye. I know because that was there. Well, but there's a lot of, of stuff uh, you. Know. Jordan, what became of your work with Zachariah? Yeah, yeah it, it fell anything? apart. 
Well, no, yeah, it, see, this is a very common theme. I mean, uh, people, yeah, I, I've, I've started, I've had so many aborted false starts of uh, networks yep. with various media, current media people that are broadcasters, podcasters, researchers, filmmakers. We all come together. It seems like the bright new future. Big plans are made. A lot of big talk, and then something always happens to impose it. it. You know, and and That's and exactly I, right. I wanted to call attention to something else you said. You know, you, the fact of the matter is, everybody listening. You know, it, it listen. You can you can take everything Jordan's saying and be like, wow, grim 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 outlook on reality, right? Well, yeah, but guess what? It takes real courage to fight the tide. But that's what it calls for. I mean, our lives, listen, if you're born in this time, you're going to be faced with a choice. At some point in your life, you're either going to have to be courage, you know, courageous to have courage to stand against the tide, to take arrows in the chest and move forward, however you want to put it, ideologically, physically, whatever. There's going to be a time in your life when you're going to have to take a stand. Are you going to just be the San Quentin prisoner who just wake up, wakes up every day like some existential groundhog day hell, you know, like where you just keep waking up in prison over and over again, which really is what we're doing here, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. We're living in a prison of golden bars called the kindergarten of the United States of America. It's like yeah. a giant daycare center you can't leave, you know. <laughs> and, and, and Maxwell said, Jordan Maxwell said, it's it, we started at the bottom and, and went and worked our way down. You know why he said that? Because he knows, as I know, that this place was founded as a slave colony for white and blacks, for all oh, races. Yep. And this is it. And we and this has been moving forward from that time. That's why he said it started at the bottom and went down. Because they've just perfected the slaveocracy. They've taken it to the next level. It's a science. It's a it's a it's an art form, you know? So we have to meet it. Just as creatively, everybody. You have to engage your will. You have to be courageous. You have to not comply. When yes, you see, I, I'd like yeah. to add to that. Yeah, go ahead. I'd like to add to that that we call uh, what is going on in America a capitalist society. Well, you know, the big problem is define your terms. What do you mean capitalist society? Well, when you capitalize on something, that means you're taking advantage of it. Uh, you know, there's some problem that happened with your, with your neighbor. Well, you can capitalize on that, meaning you take advantage of his bad luck and you move in and help yourself because you're taking advantage of him. He got his home taken away because he couldn't pay, uh, the, the taxes, but you get to buy it for just what the, what the taxes were. So that's, you know, you feel bad for him. No, most people don't feel bad for the people who lost their home. They don't give a damn. All they know is they're getting a good home, you know, uh, you know, for, for pennies on the dollar. So you're capitalizing on somebody else's hard, uh, you know, hard, hard work. You're capitalizing on their bad luck. And so that's what we are capitalization. We're capital. Uh, yeah, you know, my true estimation, Jordan, of, you know, truly civilized or enlightened behavior is behavior in which individuals don't prey upon each other in order to gain. You know, this is the distinction that was made. I thought when I joined the Lodge system that that was one of the things I was going for, the ideal, the egalitarian ideal that I'm joining the Lodge system in order to engage my fellows in a, in a manner in which I'm not preying upon them to benefit myself. 
And not everybody who joins this lodge system obviously has the same motivation. But that was the ideal I was trying to sort of like, you know, Nothing. attract. Nothing. Sorry, I'm sorry. I cut you off there. I didn't realize. No, I think I'm just saying that I have not had a home to live in since night. You're kind of breaking up, Jordan, if you want to repeat. And the first person that came in. So, you know, so I'm just saying that it's a, it's, it's a reality you need to wake up to. It's a reality of the world we live in. But I, I have always felt that the one thing that is redeeming for the human family is to wake up and educate yourself. Learn how things work. I've been saying that for years. Learn, learn how the world really works. How the banks actually work, you know, how the you know, how the police department really works, and what the, you know, if you're going to live here, you might as well understand how the system actually, in fact, works. And I've said too many times, nothing works the way you think it does. When you find out how the world and the government and banks and insurance companies actually, in fact, work, you're going to be absolutely a shock and amazed that you did not know. So I've been trying for years. Just to little by little, without getting myself in big trouble, tell the people little by little how to think, what to look at, how the banks work, how insurance companies work, what's going on with America. I've been trying desperately, uh, you know, to cause people to wake up and start reading and start thinking. Boy, you pay a dear, like I said. You pay a terrible price, but, but I appreciate it on a show like yours where at least we can talk a little bit about it and maybe it'll help somebody who's listening. So that's the best we can do. Yeah, I mean, like like we've been saying all along, it's not that, yeah, the outlook is grim, people. We, you, don't, you don't have to come on this show to know that, though. You just look around. Everybody who's listening to the American Freedom Radio Network, you're here because you know things are out of order. You know there's something wrong with the world today, or you wouldn't be listening to shows like The Middle Chamber, seeking out knowledge or understanding or insights that are not the normal beaten path, insights mainstream or otherwise. You're looking to you know, inoculate yourself with different ideas. So you know you need it. Everyone needs to open their eyes. And like he's, we've, we've always stressed here on this show and shows like Freeman's show or, or What on Earth is Happening with Mark Passio or any of the other, you know, plethora of shows out there, the same emphasis goes over and over again. Cultivate awareness. Cultivate knowledge. Cultivate critical thinking in your own life. Develop skills to discern information and do some work. You know, do some real work. Now, if you're not a bookish person, if it's not about finding out facts and figures and knowledge and all that, fine. Then inspire yourself in other ways. Find the, find the most non-compliant way to express, uh, express yourself creatively, because artistically, you know. I mean, these are methods of getting out of your own way in order to open yourself up to new ideas, to gain perspective. 
and to not just buy into civic mythology as it's spoon-fed to us all, especially here in America. We all have televisions. We all have computers. We all have phones. We all have the means of being, you know, constantly – you spoke of uh, the repetition of the information, just constantly being repeated over and over again, the Fox News phenomenon. You watch Fox News. I guarantee you, anyone, watch Fox News for 24 hours. You will become afraid. Just like, you know, listen to some of the, the fear, the fear, fear mongering shows out there. But the thing about the fear that you gain from Fox News is a fear that is utterly disempowering. And it's just like we spoke up before about once you remove the possible, uh, through the, you remove the metaphysical reality or the metaphysical, physical aspect of reality and cleave only to the physical, cleave only to the material qualified and quantified by mainstream authority. Once you enter that phase of awareness, you now need dogma to save you. You need, the, you need what has been state-issued, what is certified, what is ordained, what is classified, you know, as expert, expert opinions say, blank, fill in the blank. That's, what we, that's all we have left when we enter a phase in which we start ignoring great portions of reality, which the metaphysical reality is it exists. The reason why people like myself and Jordan, you were a huge influence and inspiration to me coming up as a, as a younger man and, and exposing myself to all these ideas and learning about this information. You were a, a person who obviously, like myself, understood there there is, in fact, a metaphysical reality out there, ladies and gentlemen, and it does, in fact, impact this reality as we know it, the, the, the reality of the quantifiable and qualifiable. The perceptual experience is affected by the non-perceptual experience. This is something that those who should not be in power, they know it very well. They don't, they don't just know it very well. They are equipped with specific tools to manipulate it in our reality. And whether you believe it or not, whether you want to continue to bury your head in the sand or ign- and ignore the metaphysical reality, the ones in control clearly do and are operating accordingly. So it's in our best interest to learn as much as we can about the occult and about metaphysical reality in order to arm ourselves and defend ourselves against coercion and influence that is harmful, like like malware for our minds, harmful stuff that's being, you know, being it's being projected at us from every direction. And you so know, the, go ahead. What, what really frightens me the one thing that really gets to me uh, is the fact that, that uh, our fellow, we neighbors across down the street, our neighbors, the people in our community, the people in our, our county or state, our fellow Americans are being sucked in just like the Germans were in Nazi Germany. All of a sudden, all the young people in Germany all of a sudden want to be a member of the SS and the Gestapo. They want to put on the black uniform and get a badge and have a swastika on. And now they have the uh, the power that the Führer has uh, endowed them with so that now they can go out with their fellow, uh, with their fellow Germans and beat them, shoot them, throw them into prison, uh, torture them, and uh, and they... And they have a right to do it because the Führer has given an order, and they are now uh, the new wave, the the new civilization. 
their brothers and children. They don't care about any of that. They bought into the Fuhrer's new order of things. And so that's what's frightening to me. As I see my fellow Americans, when I was growing up, the police on the corner, I, uh, nobody ever feared you know they were they were there as a as a, as a representative of law, but today they're not representative of the law. They're coming in fully armed with with all kinds of high tech stuff, and they are not there to protect and to serve. They're there to make sure you get in compliance, or you're going to get the hell beat out of you, and you're going to be thrown into prison. And these are our fellow Americans. You know, people I went to school with, they're now highly placed in, in homeland security, and they'll throw you in the prison. But why? Because Hefura has given the order so that they, and now I see my fellow Americans buying into this, this incredible degeneracy, which, you know, like Santiana said, for those who will not learn from history are bound to repeat it. So now we are becoming the new Berlin. 1939-1940 Berlin is America today. SS, Gestapo, uh, you know, police that can kill any time they please, any place they please, and ain't nothing you're going to do about it. They have their badges. They have their, you know, their SWAT team jackets. They're all dressed alike. It's all the uniform, a part of the uniform commercial code. That's why they wear uniforms. And the people are, of America are just being bought, and they, they're buying into. And, and, and it's just amazing to me. I mean, I went to school with these with, with kids that are today, uh, you know, today are, are military. They, you know, and they look at me like I'm like I'm a Al Qaeda agent or something. No, I'm just your fellow American. I was with you. You know, we grew up together. So I see what's happening to America as exactly what happened to Nazi Germany. The SS Digeschapo was filled with young, bright-eyed young people, young men and women who wanted to serve their country and have no idea what in the world what's going on. But they got a uniform, and God help you now, because they're going to stop you at your at your red lights. They're going to come after you when you're going to get on a bus. They're going to want your paperwork. And if you even act like you uh, are unhappy with that, you're going to prison. And this is, you know, you I mean, better it go is, because you might get. You know, you're right. You you're right. Up. It is the parallel is distinct. We can see it. The you know not not only in everything you've already described, but also just the fact that we're living in a fascist state. What the definition of fascism is: the marriage of corporation to state power, and that's what sure we have. Is. That's it. That's America. That's it. We just define it. it. I mean, this is the so anything from that, and then of course we have a very clear parallel too in the uh, communistic-like social programs That's that are right. just uh, feeding and fomenting dissatisfaction in the general public, which now cleaves towards the more dictatorial, tyrannical, yeah. uh, you know, national socialist-like me- methodologies. They're more open to the ideas of. Jackbooted fascism, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. because they want to see results, and they're not happy with the state of affairs, and yeah. they're not. And, and once we've we've entered a realm of controlled opposition, so they only have the one of you know the the Hegelian uh, fake dialectic, dialect, yeah, yeah the, to choose from, which is is what we're we're dealing with today, everybody. Well, I like so, what Dick I like what Dick Gregory said. We we in America, we're proud to say that we can elect 
our leaders, but you can't select your leaders. You can only elect your leaders. Absolutely. Try and select. Yeah, well, you're not supposed to be able to select anything. You will only vote for who we put out there. That's right. And, I mean, you can vote for Bernie Sanders if you and like, like Greg, what he has to say, right? You can vote for said, Trump. Yep. You're all – it's the same puppet master, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. Same Sorry. puppet masters running the show from day <laughs> one, period. <laughs> That's my estimation. Obviously, Jordan feels the same way. We're we're dealing with a really – it's not a left and right party, ladies and gentlemen. It's not Republicans, Democrats. It's the Wall Street Party. Okay, Period. it's the bankster thug party, <laughs> and there's only one, <laughs> and that's it. That's it. And, uh, you know, I was 19 years old. I ended up in Los Angeles, and I, I stood to a little old lady. I must have been 90 years old when, then. That was 60 years ago, and uh, and she was a she had an incredible history as a dance hall girl in Chicago, but she had. All these pictures in her front room, she used to show them to me. I mean, tons of pictures on the walls of, of her as a dance hall girl and, a, and an actress in uh, in Chicago. And she would have pictures with all the mafia guys, all the mob. And it was a hell wow. of a story. All right, Jordan. Well, story. I'm sorry. That's the end of our time. Uh, anybody wants to check out Jordan Maxwell's uh, media, it's jordanmaxwellshow.com. jordanmaxwellshow.com. Thanks for stopping by the Middle Chamber. I'm Freder X. See you next time. Come buy my stuff, too, everybody. Thanks for supporting it all. We'll catch you around. burns fat, improves digestion, and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs. Did you know the U.S. government banned the hemp plant from growing in the United States and classified it as a Schedule One drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant? People have been confused about this plant for over 80 years, and many still don't know what hemp is. So now you know hemp is not marijuana, and marijuana is not hemp. They are different varieties of the same species. HempUSA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best-kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org. The last hour of American Freedom Radio you have been listening to is proudly sponsored in part by BigRiggyMix.com, the global healing station. Produced by Mitch Santel and executive produced by none other than Errol Brown, winner of five Grammy Awards and the last producer and engineer of Bob Marley. Visit us now at BigRiggyMix.com for the latest show schedule, 
updates, and blog postings. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, too. BigReggaeMix.com Yo, what's up? Check this out. The voice of the revolution. American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio. What is the big deal about swearing to God in the first place? Why does swearing to God mean you're going to tell the truth? Wouldn't affect me. If they said to me, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you, God, I'd say, yeah. I'll tell you about as much truth as the people who wrote that Bible. How do you like that? Huh? Huh? Swearing to God is kid stuff. Swearing to God doesn't mean anything. Swearing on the Bible doesn't mean anything. You know why? Because Bible or no Bible, God or no God, if it suits their purposes, people are going to lie in court. The police do it all the time. All the time. Yes, they do. It's part of their job to protect, to serve, and to commit perjury whenever it supports the state's case. Swearing on the Bible is just one more way of controlling people and keeping them in line, and it's one more thing that holds us back as a species. You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio in service to the community with strength, wisdom and loyalty. The founders of AFI wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio.com. Vaccines, psychotropic drugs and artillery batteries not included. No rules. No rules. No taboo topics. No taboo topics. No fear of doom. No fear of doom. We are. We are. American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.